0: Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo tobacco alternative. Bold flavor full pouches. What is going on everybody? John Middlecop 3 and out. Podcast, how are we doing? Happy Tuesday. Hopefully everyone had a good long weekend, enjoyed themselves. Saw some family, chilled by the pool, had some brewskis, and watched a little football. It's back. College football's off and running. Obviously, the National Football League, as all the coaches and executives often say to make themselves sound smart, can't say NFL, you say the National Football League, returns Thursday. So we will dive into some NFL stuff. we still got some holdouts as of recording this podcast. As well as some takes from college. I I went on with Colin. I'm sure you guys uh, saw that yesterday. And here's the game plan. I think we'll have a podcast every day this week. Uh, Today's a pretty big podcast. As well as with a mailbag. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. Uh, We'll have a lot of mailbags this week. I'll probably do a preview pod of just picking the divisions. Picking the winners. Picking maybe a Super Bowl pick as well on Thursday. And then we will have Friday reaction to Thursday night, as well as some other stuff for Sunday. So we, we're going to have a lot of podcasts. We're going to have a lot of content. I mean, football's back. This is what I do. Talk about football. So w- why not just do podcasts all the time? That's the game plan. Uh, today's a pretty big one, just because I had a lot to say. And uh, other than that, if you're listening on Collins' feed, make sure you subscribe to 3 and Out feed. Appreciate everyone that has. the volume.com, Check out merch. We got 3 and Out hats. And other than that, Let's buckle up, baby. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. Fall, football, gambling, and just spending so much time on our couch that we question, is this healthy? And you always get back to, yes, there's no place I'd rather be than watching this football game. Did you see how much fun that LSU-Florida State game looked? Did you see how much fun that game at TCU was? You want to go to a college football game? We know how much fun the NFL games are going to be. Here's what you do. You grab your smartphone and you download a little app called Game Time. They happen to be the official ticketing app of this podcast. Game Time. Officially ticketing app of this podcast. Download it. Sign up for your first pair of tickets. They have interactive maps. You can find out where you want to sit. Any game. Any sporting event. As well as concerts and comedy shows as well. And type in the promo code John. That's my name. J-O-H-N. J-O-H-N. Get $20 off your first pair of tickets. J-O-H-N. $20 off for first pair of tickets. Cannot recommend it enough. The NFL's back, baby. The NFL is back. We are, depending on when you listen to this, just a couple days away from a game. Doesn't get any better than that. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about the success of the NFL, about the widening gap of football separating from the other sports football is now the nfl specifically the number one television show in america if i would have told someone this back in the 70s the 80s the 90s when we just had some incredible television hits you wouldn't have believed me but the world's changed and football this iteration of it is perfectly made for 2023 gambling fantasy The scarcity of the of the of the inventory, because at the end of the day, you're only playing once a week. So even if you play on a short week, Thursday, Sunday, Monday, whatever, just play one game a week and you cannot fake importance. You saw it this weekend in college football. You'll definitely see it immediately in these NFL games starting Thursday night, but then all day Sunday and clearly Monday night. Every game feels like it matters. And I was lucky enough to work in the NFL as well as college football and the ebb and flow of a game week. There's nothing quite like it. And there's nothing like the high of winning. And one thing I will never, ever miss is the shitty feeling of losing. And it's why we love football is because of the way our excitement leads into a game and our reactions after it. And because of the scarcity of the amount of games The reaction on Monday to what we just witnessed, it matters. The hyperbole that come from other sports is like, how can you have a true take in the middle of June in baseball? You got another game tomorrow. Yeah, guy's struggling. He could easily snap a streak tomorrow and go on a five-game homer streak or a pitcher or in basketball. it's like Half the players in the league don't even care about this given game in January. Yet in football, everyone cares. Us, the fans. Whether you're playing fantasy, whether you're gambling, whether you just love the team because you have your entire life, to the coaches who dedicate 100-hour work weeks, to the players who lay it all on the line. It all matters. And listen, it feels like in the summer and definitely in the spring, it's like, God, when is football going to come back? And it feels so far away. And then it comes back and you're like, God, I'm glad this is back. And there's nothing like the NFL. I like college a lot. I I watch a stupid amount of college football for someone that doesn't have a team, but I like the, the NFL dramatically better. It's just a better product because every team in the NFL, except a couple, every fan base right now, you think your team has a chance. Now that changes over the course of the season. But if you're a Bears fan, if you're a Packer fan, if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, if you're a Dolphin fan, if you're any fan except like the Arizona Cardinals or maybe the Houston Texans, you feel like, why can't we be the 7th seed? Why, why can't we? Maybe we can't win the division, but like, why can't we win 10 games? Why can't we be in the playoffs? And who knows? It's football. This isn't a seven-game series. We're not playing Michael Jordan here. One game, 60 minutes. Why can't we win? it? And it happens. You saw it last year with Seattle, with the New York Giants. With the Miami Dolphins, once they got Tyreek, things change so fast in the NFL. Like in college football, like, yeah, you can win six, seven, eight games, have a fun season, but you know, you got no shot at the playoffs. That's not the way in the NFL, right? Because we've seen so many times some of those teams with the Giants, the wildcard teams go on to win the Super Bowl. Crazy shit happens. But the most fun part about the sport is that you know when you give your time, and that's the most valuable asset we have in our lives that they give you a lot that obviously there are going to be some games throughout the season that I don't care if you're the best team in the league or the worst team in the league, where it feels like it's like, what is going on? Are they trying? But for the most part, you're riveted. You're on the edge of your seat because they're giving you everything they have. And the players laying it all on the line, the entertainment value of the league. I love to gamble. Never been a big fantasy football guy. I know a lot of you guys play fantasy. We all have a different, uh, iron in the fire of our interest and just a love of the sport. Obviously more people play this sport in junior high and high school than any other sport, just based on the numbers, right? In high school basketball, you can only have so many guys on the team, even a baseball team. If you got 25, 30 guys on a high school baseball team, you got double the amount playing high school football. And if the last time you ever played football was in junior high or high school, it's something you never forget. The camaraderie of the coaches of your teammates of how hard it is physically demanding it is and how much time you put in throughout the week to just attempt to win one game. And you're going to see, it's going to be on full display on Thursday night. The chiefs have been to three super bowls in the last five years. They've won two of them and they're going to throw the fucking kitchen sink at the lions. This is going to mean a ton to Andy, a ton to Patrick Mahomes. The lions are trying not to be one of the laughing socks of the league anymore. They're trying to be a legitimate operation. I'm probably going to pick them to win the division. But the thing with football, no matter how much work, no matter how much hype, no matter how many draft picks you have, no matter how many guys, you read stories about this guy and that guy and this guy's ascending, and we think we got this diamond in the fourth round, eventually got to play the games. And we all get to see it because the majority of people don't even go to a practice right during training camp. So they're just reading and watching and listening. We all get to watch the games. And it's unlike any other business that is on that level, right? It's a billion-dollar business. It's one of the biggest businesses currently uh, in America. It's definitely the most popular entertainment product we have in, in terms of television. But it's very black and white. You either win or you lose. No one gives a shit how many draft picks you hit on if you win six games. Just like no one cares how many draft picks you miss on if you win 13. The whole point of the entire thing that we do that we talk about that we love that we watch is about the games on Sunday, starting Thursday and obviously Monday as well. And your team winning that game. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of it. And I think, and listen, I love the drama around the league. I love the transactions around the league. I love breaking down the coaches, but we judge on wins and we criticize you on the losses. And I'm as excited for this season. I expect it to be a massive season. The league's in a very healthy spot with the, uh, you know, we've gotten rid of Brady, Breeze, Manning. Aaron Rodgers is coming down the home stretch. But the amount of young talent that have come in at that position from Mahomes to Allen to Burrow to now Trevor Lawrence to Herbert to Jalen Hurts, Lamar, the, the exciting uh, element that they all bring in different forms and fashion. Feel very good about the you know short term health of the league and short term the next three four five years of those guys kind of carrying the torch. That's exciting. We got a lot of good young coaches. We still got some older coaches that are you know not going to go away quietly. Um, it just doesn't get any better in football. It definitely doesn't get any bigger than football in terms of sports uh, in you know in America. And uh, as someone that does this for a living, there's nothing like the games. Uh, I love all the other stuff that surrounds it. I obviously now dedicated my life and make my living to talking about it. But, and I like talking about a good training camp story as much as the next guy, but no, nothing beats reacting to a game and having a take or a thought off a situation that came from the game. And it's finally here. And uh, thank God. A uh, couple of football things. As I'm recording this, this could change by the time you're listening to this. We have two major holdouts by two teams that, I mean, you'd be crazy to not pick the Chiefs on a yearly basis. And obviously the Niners are a very sexy pick to, to always compete to either be in the championship game or to be a Super Bowl pick for a lot of people. And two of their better players are both not, I mean, just no-shows. Obviously the Chiefs play in 48 hours, and the 49ers have an enormous game on Sunday. Not in terms of like make or break their season, but I mean playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I view as like Super Bowl contender. And neither guy, Nick Bosa or Chris Jones, are in. And I will commend both guys because, and I've always said this about the running backs, it's about comps. It's about comps. It's why the tight ends and linebackers get screwed because the comps and the contracts at their positions never get high. But now the positions that I don't think anyone can deny that is not just eclipsing $30 million, but is heading as the number two position behind the quarterbacks is the pass rushers. We all agree to that. Fans, coaches, general managers, owners, no one even attempts to deny their importance, their value, and how impossible it is to not be an elite team without one of these guys. You have to have a difference maker on your front. Most good teams now have several, but Chris Jones and Nick Bosa are clearly elite players. There is no denying that. And I commend those guys because the only way you gain leverage in business, I don't care what industry you're in, when you truly have the leverage and both these guys have some simply because of the level of play that they bring to the table is by saying no. No is the most powerful thing you can say in business. No. Nope. 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 Yeah, that doesn't look right. Nope. When you say that and anyone listening to this that has ever been in the position where they have some juice in their side of the negotiation, whether that be in a business acquisition, whether that be in a hiring situation, when you're in the position that's trying to get something done and you hear no, and you know, you need the other side. It's powerful, man. And those two guys are clearly constantly saying, Nope, that's not good enough. That's not high enough. That's not enough guaranteed money. And while I totally agreed with the team side, when it came to the running back, I agree with these guys. Screw the comps. If I'm Nick Bosa, you're telling me that Kyler Murray, who they have to put clauses in his contract to watch film, is worth $165, $170 million guaranteed, and you want me to sign a contract for $110 million guaranteed? And here's the other thing, especially for Nick Bosa. I'm sorry, guys. There's a California tax in this. I didn't have any room to argue when it came to my rookie contract. It's slotted. But this one I do. And to me, net income, I always hear like people like, oh, I I would take that money with taxes, whatever. It's easy to say when it's not your money until when I say, Okay, I'm gonna give you a hundred million dollars. But the difference of after taxes and net income and gross income is in California, it's 13%. So if I'm giving you a hundred million dollars, and obviously you get taxed where you played, we're talking about a difference of 10 million dollars in your pocket. I don't care who you are. million net income, if you're not Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, is a shitload of money. So if I'm Nick Bosa, not only am I arguing, I don't care about the comps. And one, there hasn't been a pass rusher who hasn't signed a free agent deal. Uh, Aaron Donald was just extended, but my brother, Miles Garrett, that was a while ago. Like I want one, the factor of just like inflation in terms of the salary cap going up. But two, like I'm in California and I'm getting taxed through the wazoo. So one, when I look at some of these average quarterbacks signing these enormous deals, I'm going, I need a lot of my contract guaranteed. So let's just say 125 million of it guaranteed. But then because of the place we play, I want a little California tax on top of that. And every time that you guys say, well, the number we're coming with is smaller, I'm going to say, no, that's not good enough. What the fuck are you going to do? Because I'll promise you this, you're eventually going to need me. And I know that. You have no chance to win a Super Bowl without me. So am I prepared to you know, miss a game? Clearly I am. I've gone this far. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, they have signed. But I think both these two players kind of realize the best leverage you can have in a holdout. And this speaks for the running backs, too. Do not show up if you are truly valued. The problem with the running backs is people just move on. The Pittsburgh Steelers did it years ago with Le'Veon Bell. But with a player like Nick Bosa, with a player like Chris Jones, That's basically impossible. There is no replacing that guy. There is no uh, D-line by committee to to fill in their stats. Like, no. And these guys know it. And whenever you get to the level of a player who is just an all-time great uh, offensive tackle, an all-time great pass rusher, the only leverage you truly have is not showing up and constantly, when they send you numbers saying, not good enough, you need to go higher. And I think these guys have played it right from a business standpoint. They've drawn a line in the sand and you've got to make the other side uncomfortable. And I think obviously the chiefs have been, but clearly the 49ers it's working. And I think Nick Bosa, if I'm him, like I don't even fault even with, and listen, I'm I've said contracts are based on comps. Like we're blowing through this comp. There, there is no comp for me with my importance to your team and just look at other players. Right. Are are you telling me that some of these average quarterbacks, because that would be my thing, because no one would trade Kyler Murray straight up for Nick Bosa if they had Nick Bosa. Nobody. Not a soul. So, like, I start playing that game and most players you get laughed at because it's a team front office league. They have all the leverage. There are certain players, obviously the top quarterbacks. And the occasional non-quarterback, Micah Parsons, will be one of those guys. Nick Bosa is one of those guys. For a long time, Aaron Donald was. He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna retire if you don't essentially guarantee the rest of my contract and add $10 million on top of that per year. I know I'm making 20, but I want 30 and I want it all guaranteed. And he got it. Why? Because he's Aaron Freaking Donald, one of the great players of all time at the most important position. And that's Nick Bosa. So sometimes in business, you got to draw a line in the stand and make the other side uncomfortable. And I think clearly they're doing it. And uh, most players aren't willing to do that. Uh, And most players don't have the leverage or the juice to do that. But Bosa does. And Chris Jones does as well. Because, okay, Kansas City, if you're not willing to pay me what I think I'm worth, someone is. So if, if you think the 28, like that's making you uncomfortable, even if I'm not asking for 30, if you think like, listen, the way we've built our books, big picture, You know for a fact you could easily trade me for a one and a couple twos, and someone else is willing to cut me that contract. You you know that. We all do. It's not even debatable. So I like both these guys just making things uncomfortable because that's what elite players, just like elite people in any industry, should do if they want more money. And then last but not least, we'll dive into some of the matchups later this week. I think week one can be very, very tough to kind of gauge. You know, you have just, it's football, so you got a lot of player turnover. You have so many different just core guys changing teams, either free agency or trades because of salary cap issues. You have so many new coordinators at new spots. I mean, think the Eagles were second best team in the league last year. They got a new coordinator on offense and defense, right? Russell Wilson was one of the worst players in the NFL. He's got a brand new head coach who's also the play caller. So you see it all over the league. I mean, the Raiders were terrible last year. They lost all these one-score games. They got a new quarterback. Same with Derek Carr. Now he's with the Saints. Like, how are these teams going to look? No one truly knows. I Some teams with some experience, you go, God, they look pretty good in the preseason. I feel pretty confident the Steelers are going to be solid. But we've learned time and time again to be very careful with the preseason. Good and bad. Like, I'm out on Carolina after I watched them play. But part of that is like, can they block anybody? But if you told me that Carolina actually ends up going seven and 10 or somehow wins eight games, it's not the craziest thing, right? I think the one year the Lions didn't win a game, they ran the table in the preseason. So you got to be very careful about overreacting to the preseason. The other thing is the NFL college football is kind of this combination of the Jimmys and the Joes and the X's and the O's, but it kind of leans with the Jimmys and the Joes. Like if I got Jalen Carter or I got Travis Hunter or I got Caleb Williams, you're you're just not stopping them. Where in football, you can have great players, but if your coach is a fucking dingbat and can't scheme guys open and can't figure out how to take advantage, it's a chess game. It's why the coaches work such long hours because they're scheming in college football. They work long hours because they're recruiting. And that's why Lincoln, or not Lincoln Riley, but Urban Meyer was such a joke. He's a recruiter. He's a motivator. He's not a schemer. So he came to the NFL that is a scheme-oriented business, and his motivation tactics were felt like they weren't really resonating. And scheme-wise, it was over his head. Where I think when you look around the NFL, the best coaches are always scheme-oriented, right? Or great motivators, and they have great coaches underneath them. But when you look at week one, I do think it's very, very hard to gauge. Typically, from a gambling standpoint, a lot of underdogs win. It also doesn't define your season. We have seen teams have terrible week ones and be fine, right? Because I think it's much more difficult now to find out your identity, especially if you have new coaches. Like, think the Vikings have Brian Flores. The Miami Dolphins get Vic Fangio. Those are two of the better defensive coordinators. Was that truly going to show week one? Or is that something that comes to fruition more by, by the time you're in early November, you start seeing their impact? Because let's face it, you have no double days in training camp. Every three or four days is a mandatory off day by the NFLPA. That's a great, uh, great bargaining chip. The NFL owners just took more money. They're like, Yeah, we'll give you a, how many off days you want. Five out of seven. More money for us. That's a win for you, win for us. I mean, it's just it was terrible negotiation by Demore Smith, but that's. A different conversation but my point here is that week one is really fun just because we have football that matters but i think when trying to figure out what your team like i i know what andy Reid or kyle shanahan's team are going to look like but there are a lot of teams like even geno smith in seattle like I, I we know what Pete carroll likes to do but is he just going to be able to sustain that right belichick new coordinator bill o'brien what is their offense going to look like because in the preseason you just kind of run your place you're you're not scheming plays against their looks. You're just running the plays that you've been practicing. That is the base of your offense or your defense. You're just calling defensive plays on third and eight that you typically would call on third and eight, but it's not a schemed look where this entire week, starting with chiefs lions going into the weekend are schemed ideas. Now, because the new coordinators and a lot of, you know, uh, transition in football with both coaches and players, you're taking educated guesses. It's not the same as by October, and I got a month of film of knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and knowing what you like to do because it also changes year to year. We know Mahomes is going to throw to Kelsey, but like, is Sky more a legitimate player this year? Is he an impact guy, right? Is Isaiah Pacheco just the same guy? Is he a better version, right? Or are they, you know, more running back by committee? You just never know until you see it. And that's, to me week one is much more in this current kind of setup of the NFL of a feeling out process. And then by the end of the month, you kind of get an idea, the identity of your team, what you might need to work on, what a player that's not living up to the hype that eventually is going to get benched. And you kind of see the transition throughout the season of the starting lineup, right? Uh, Because most teams, and, and the other thing is injuries can happen at any moment. You get guys on the pup, guys coming back, uh, the cool part about week one is that we just got football. But in terms of knowing a team and knowing what a team's going to look like, good or bad, like you tell me the Arizona Cardinals We everyone, I, I've heard everyone say this. The Arizona Cardinals are going to get worked by Washington. We see all the time a team that ends up winning. The Chicago Bears drafted one overall last year. Obviously, they traded the pick, but they were the first overall team uh, in the draft order. They won week one. They beat the 49ers in Trey Lance. Look, that happened. The 49ers won 13 games and won the NFC Championship. Let's uh, transition to college football. And the story of the weekend is easily Deion Sanders. And remarkable game. As I told Colin, that's why football's king. You can't fake that entertainment. I like a little more defense, but I'm not going to even pretend that that wasn't incredible. That is why football's the number one television show. Doesn't get any better. And college football is the number two sport in America. Uh, Don't ever get that twisted. College football dominates rating-wise. There's a huge gap, as we talked about earlier, between the NFL and everyone else. College football's too. In that game, I haven't seen the numbers, but I would imagine they're huge. Uh, But Deion Sanders. I'll never forget when I worked for the Eagles. Our special teams coach was Bobby April. He's worked in the NFL, or worked. he's retired now, worked in the NFL for decades. His son is currently the defensive coordinator for Stanford. Coached, you know, lastly for Jim Leonard with Wisconsin, as linebacker coach, really good young defensive coach. But his dad was awesome. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And my role, when you work internally, you know, maybe they've gotten bigger now, but most of these personnel departments aren't that big in-house. You got a lot of scouts on the road. So they give you a lot of different roles. And I used to help the special teams coach out doing kind of stuff that the position coach doesn't want to do, right? Hang times, jot down numbers, who lines up where. Uh, a week in advance, just make the process easier for him. Once we game plan on a weekly basis. And be- once you start doing that, you end up interacting with the guy a lot. And me and Bobby April used to talk all the time. And then even when I was in radio, he became the special teams coach for the Raiders. Talk to him a lot. And I'll never forget him telling me a story. Cause I used to ask him about different coaches and different players. And he coached in the early nineties for the Atlanta Falcons, 91, 92, 93. So I used to ask him like, what was it like coaching Deion Sanders? because Deion Sanders at the time was one of the bright young stars in the league. This was before he went to the 49ers and the Cowboys and became Super Bowl champ, absolute legend, but he was easily one of, if not the most electric players in the league. And this is at the time when Deion was like on TV, NFL network, no one thought that he was going to become some college coach right at Colorado, let alone Jacksonville state, right? Uh, Jackson state, excuse me. But Bobby April used to tell me, he's like, you know, the biggest misconception with Deion Sanders Because he's so loud, he's so cocky, and, you know, let's face it, can rub people the wrong way, is he was easily one of my favorite players I've ever coached in my entire career. Not because he was great. Obviously, that's always fun, coaching great players. But because of how much he cared and because of his work ethic, he said he'd always sit in the front of the meetings. He took incredible notes. He'd stay after at practice, and his practice habits were elite. And I would imagine if you just asked a casual fan, "What do you think Deion Sanders' work ethic like was as, as a player?" I would imagine a lot of people, if you just did some poll, would be like, "Oh, Deion was so had so many god gifts; he it was easy for him just to kind of cruise." Well, it turns out, dude had like a Kobe Bryant maniacal uh, desire to be great at football. It's why him and Michael Irvin are such good friends, right? When you talk, Mike, when you just bring up Michael Irvin, who's currently getting sued, which feels like bullshit. But like his history as a player, you know, hookers, blow, a lot of crazy stuff. You ask anyone, and I've been lucky enough to be around people that have played with Michael Irvin, his work ethic and practice, elite, like you usually don't get great at anything, whether it's football, whether it's radio, whether it's real estate, whether it's construction, if your work ethic isn't top-notch. That's typically how you separate. Most people aren't just like naturally gifted to the nth degree. At a very competitive industry, just to maintain that, you have to be a grinder and you got to be usually pretty passionate about what you're doing. And the way he described Deion Sanders to me was just the ultimate football guy, like the way when we describe Brady or we describe Peyton Manning or we describe Ray Lewis or now some of the great young players in the league, right? They just love football. They're junkies. They study it nonstop. They're obsessed. That was Deion Sanders as a player. So when you look at him as a coach, There was a moment in that game against TCU that really jumped out to me is there was a player down. I forget. I think it was a TCU guy and Deion Sanders had come out to talk to the player on the ground and Sonny Dykes was there as well. And this was, the game was well in the balance, like third, third quarter tight game. I I forget Colorado might've even had the lead at the time. Uh, Obviously TCU came back. It was a back and forth game and they, and Sonny Dykes who was just literally in the national championship Deion kind of hugs him, and you could tell they're talking. Sonny Dykes, and I've met him a couple times when he was the coach of Cal, is just an old school Texas football guy. His dad was a coach, he's a coach. Just when you see Sonny Dykes, when you talk to Sonny Dykes, Sonny Dykes is just football, football, football. Deion can relate to football guys. Why? He's an old school football guy this offseason, definitely in training camp, but I'm pretty sure they did in spring ball as well. Most of these teams, right, in college football and definitely in the pros, there is no tackling to the ground. When you scrimmage, in the NFL and at even all the power five schools, they are doing what's equivalent like uh, thud. And what thud is, is like the, the padded version of two-hand touch. You kind of hit, but there's no wrapping up. You kind of tap him and the guy keeps moving. It's why if you watch, if you've never been to a NFL practice, if you've watched NFL Network, there'll be clips of kind of guys colliding in practice. And then the running back or the wide receiver or the tight end just keeps on running because you're not tackling the guy to the ground. Right. Well, Deion Sanders tackled to the ground. I think we look at Deion Sanders as like this progressive, young, hip coach. And obviously, when it comes to recruiting, he's got a lot of that. Think who taught him one of the truly great recruiters in the history of sport, Bobby Bowden. That's where he learned from when he played as, you know, at Florida State back in whatever the late 80s. So, Deion and his personality, he was going to be a natural recruiter. But I think people looked at him like, ah, corner. One of the things Dion used to say, like, they don't pay me to tackle. Deion's, he, I don't even blame him. He's right. They pay him to cover. But, like, when I watch Deion Sanders, he actually relates and has much more in common with Belichick and Saban in terms of the way he views football. Now, obviously, the way they play, they don't have Georgia, LSU, Florida State's personnel on defense. So for them to be successful, they're going to have to score points. But I've always said this about Lincoln Riley. I question his ethos and his belief how important recruiting defensive players were. I watched USC when they were great. That that was in my uh, football-loving college life. And I, I watched a team full of NFL players at every fucking position, D-line, linebacker, and DB for almost a decade with Pete Carroll. That's what it takes to win natties. No one else has won a national championship out West because the defense is always a question mark. Dion will value that. I I promise you that, right? But the other thing with Dion, when you view him as like this outspoken, he he just, I I think on social media, he feels very 2023. When it comes to football, he has much more in common with like 1993. And I'll promise you this, if you've watched the clips of him addressing the team, he's got that down pat. And two other things really stand out to me. To be a great head coach, When you are like he's not gonna be one of the coordinators. Obviously, if he was, he'd be the defensive coordinator, but he's gonna be a CEO head coach. Think John Harbaugh, think Mike Tomlin, think now Nick Saban. But when you are that, you have to hire really well. It's very incumbent on you to hire the right guys. Well, he got last year, the Kent State head coach left that job to become his OC. And there were multiple plays in that game. One was in the red zone that led to a touchdown, and another on like a third and five. It was like, this guy's really scheming it up. Obviously, there were some plays with Shador and Travis Hunter where there was just some like, hey, our Jimmys and the Joes are going to beat your Jimmys and the Joes. And that's a huge part of college football. For as great as Saban is, for as great as Kirby Smart is, for as great as that scumbag phony Urban Meyer is, they've always had the great Jimmys and the Joes, as well as their X's and the O's. And when they get to the biggest moments, they got the better players. So that's a huge part of college football. This is not the NFL. But you still need to be able to scheme. You still need to be able to dial it up. And right now, I watched Deion Sanders' offensive coordinator. What a hire. And that's happening a lot more now. Like I say, Bo Baldwin, this guy used to be the offensive coordinator and head coach at Eastern Washington, became the head coach at Cal Poly, left that job to become the offensive coordinator at Arizona State because it's easier for that guy to get a Power 5 job, not through a smaller school, but being the OC at a bigger school. And the other thing is Deion knows talent. Like Dion knows talent. I I would imagine anyone could recruit Travis Hunter, right? I'm not not giving him credit for that. You deserve credit for establishing the relationship, but every team that's worth their salt in the country, Clemson, Florida State, Bama, Georgia, you name it, wanted that guy. But I watched a bunch of other guys. They had a second wide receiver, number 10, the little running back that Dion's known forever. Obviously the million dudes they've landed in the transfer portal. Like, Dion and his crew can identify players. They deserve a lot of credit for that. And this whole business now with this transfer portal, evaluation, like landing a guy from a smaller school, bringing over a guy, like the one thing that I thought was kind of stupid, and I get why they're saying it, but Dion and Shador acting like, I was just at the HBCU, I'm an HBCU player. It's like, go Google rival.com. Obviously, he was going to go play for his dad he would have gone to the SEC or Florida State. Like, those are the schools that were sniffing around. Now, he's clearly better. Anyone that says, like, I knew he was going to be this. I watched a lot of Jackson State BS. (laughs) People were not watching Jackson State. I'm not saying people didn't. I watched last year their conference championship game. But on the whole, we consume, we just don't consume that level of football. That's just a fact that we've all seen the ratings, right? Now, you also didn't know how it was going to look once he got to this level, and he was remarkable. And Travis Hunter playing seven million plays in that game. Those two guys. This other notion, and we'll get into Florida State here in a second. Colorado was never going to win the national championship. Definitely not this year, because to win a national championship, you have to play defense. It's the only way possible. You got to be able to tackle. You got to be able to rush the pass. And most of the schools in the country, that includes all the conferences, SEC as, as well, do are not great defenses. Right? Think of who's good at defense in this country. Georgia. Uh, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin has been with Jim Leonard, Iowa's had some teams, Florida State, uh, you just kind of go around, right? But you can win 8 to 10 games, depending on your schedule, if your defense is average at best, honestly a little below average, if your offense is elite. Look at TCU, they made the national championship last year because they could score points. And TCU's still going to win a bunch of games because they can score points. So do I view Colorado as like some playoff contender? I know. But do I view them as a team that could win nine games? Is it going to be hard for them to physically handle Utah and Oregon? 100%. But can they beat the overwhelming, and and even USC? But can they beat the other teams? For sure. I mean, I expect them to win this week by probably like 10, 15 points. Because you'd be like, well, kind of a letdown spot to Nebraska. Boulder, Colorado is gonna look like fucking LSU at night, even though it's a 10 a.m. kickoff plate's gonna be bananas because of prime. Prime is what we call in business a cash cow. Jim Harbaugh's that, Saban's that, Kirby Smart's now that Belichick was that for 20 years, Andy Reid is that, Pete Carroll's been that way for Seattle, Kyle Shanahan's that way for Jed York, Sean McVay. Like that is a cash cow. Deion's a winner, and winners find ways to win. And I, I think. Anyone that thinks he's new school, yeah, he has some new school uh, identity to him with how active he is on social media. But his message, if you watch him talk to his team, and if you watch the clips of him practicing, is very old school. Florida State. When I was a GA at Fresno State, we had a young student assistant who had tried out for kicker, and the coach said, listen, you're not going to be able to be our kicker but we would love to have you on the staff. And his name was Derek Ray. And he went on to be working recruiting and end up going to Oregon State for years. Most recently with Jonathan Smith had become a really, really highly thought of recruiting coordinator in college football. Was turning down, quote unquote, bigger jobs. He loved Jonathan Smith. So do I. Dude's just stud. Dude made DJ Ungole look good. Well, last year, the Florida State Seminoles Offered him the job to be the GM. And he took it. And this is a guy from the Central Valley, Fresno State, Oregon State, went to Florida State. And I talked to him on the phone a couple of weeks ago. I've known, I've known him now almost 15 years. And he's like, bro, two things. We're fucking good. Like all, we have a squad. Our these receivers and this receiver we land in the transfer portal is the real deal. And he's like, our head coach, who's also our play caller, is is big time. Our, our, our him as a play caller, just watching him last year and watching him in practice. This guy's no joke. And that was on full display. He wasn't lying to me and I didn't think he was lying, but you you never know. Big game, LSU coin flip game. That was a clinic. And to me, what really stood out, like Derek told me their personnel is big time. They got NFL players like LSU everywhere. And that play caller was really, really impressive. Because part of college football is a Jimmy's and the Joe's matchup, just like the NFL. But in the NFL, there's much smaller gap between talent on opposite sides of the field. Obviously, you have a Micah Parsons or a Trent Williams. I'm not saying there are certain guys. But as a whole, as a unit, there were clear deficiencies last night, and Norvell took clear advantage of them. And I think Florida State, that game, like, listen, I love TCU Colorado. Like, I, I I was glued to my couch for whatever, three and a half, four hours. Sunday night's really more my style. Like, I watch, like watching NFL players on defense flying around, crushing people. Herb Street was even mentioning it last night. People were getting crushed, absolutely mollywatted. I like that. And you just see the body types like that guy's an NFL player, that guy's an NFL player. But I, I think Florida State, they got a real squad. LSU would be fine, they'll win their nine, 10 games. But Florida State can win the national championship. Um, They just got to get by Clemson. Uh, They're now in the driver's seat. And anyone, if by the time you're listening to this, that doesn't put them number two overall, I got no problem leaving Georgia till they lose number one. Back to back champs, they've earned it. But if you just watch college football over the last three, four days, how anyone can say Florida State today, that doesn't mean it can't change, is not the second best team in the country, is on some drugs that I'd probably like to get a hold of because they work pretty, they're pretty powerful. A uh, couple other things. I didn't really get the chance. I, I saw Colin open with this. I, you know, he, he had texted some NFL executives and scouts about Shador. and you can't watch Shador and not think obviously not just an NFL player, but like, is this a top five pick? I mean, shit, if Trey Lance and Zach Wilson go two and three, Shador could play one game and that could be his game and he could easily go top five in the draft. But the college quarterback play is elite. I mean, it it just is. It is fantastic. And the number one thing that stood out to me, there are so many random players, quarterbacks all over the NFL. They're like, how's this guy still in the NFL? How did Matt Barkley last this long? How did this guy last this long? There's a lot of fat about to be trimmed. (laughs) I mean, there are so many quarterbacks. And I I texted a college director. I said, how many quarterbacks do you think are going to get drafted in the top 50 in this draft? He's like, I don't know, six, seven. I'm like, what about just the quarterback class as a whole? even underclassmen that aren't draft eligible. He's absolutely loaded. Every other game has an NFL quarterback. And not all of them are going to be first round picks, but you're talking second, third, fourth round. Listen, we can nitpick Jaden Daniels all we want, the LSU quarterback. Like that's a draftable player. Same with Florida State's quarterback. These are draftable quarterbacks, let alone the Drake Mays, the Caleb Williams, the you name it. Uh, Michael Penix, to me, throws as beautiful a ball as any quarterback, college or pro. It is... Honestly, I'm going to pick Washington to win the conference. I think Washington will win the Pac-12. Oregon, you know, I'm I'm not betting on USC. I'm just not. They don't have the defense. Oregon might be as good. Obviously, they played an incredible game. I got to see them play a real opponent. But, I mean, Oregon-Washington is going to be a fantastic game. A lot of people love Bo Nix. I'll never forget Andy Reid told me years ago when they were evaluating Patrick Mahomes. I was like, was it difficult to evaluate a quarterback in kind of this spread soft offense? He's like, no. It actually made it much easier. I just removed every quick screen he had, and he just had more evidence and more inventory of short, intermediate, and deep throws than most quarterbacks in the history of my job because of the amount these guys throw. And that speaks to all these quarterbacks. Now, they're just throwing more, and that starts with high school. I've been saying this forever. In 2001, 2003, when I was in high school, we ran the wing tee. And this was in Sacramento, a pretty big recruiting hotbed. It's not quite, you know, I would say L.A. or the Central Valley, but it's it's got a lot of Division One players that play Power 5 football. And I would say a large percentage of teams ran some version of the wing tee, of the option, of the veer. And now if you just look, and I follow high school football in Sacramento relatively closely, they're all running spread offenses. They're all throwing it, and that speaks to all over the country now. So all these top quarterbacks are used to throwing the ball in high school. And then they get to college where, when I was a kid, even if you threw the ball in high school, once you got to college, you usually played in a running offense. Well, those days are over. It's all spread it out and slinging around. So the, the amount of sweet quarterbacks makes, one, college football really easy to watch because it's just fun. Like it, it's just an exciting game. And it's also fun even if you – listen, when I lived in Philly, th- there was a big Penn State contingent, but Philly, Boston, New York, the Northeast leans much more NFL. Obviously, the South leans much more college football. And while we like college football in the West, I know I do, it's much more pro football, right? The 49ers, now the Rams, the Chargers, Seattle's good now. Bigger than college football. Even SC, when they're good, they're the only team, and we'll see if their importance has dropped a little bit because of the NFL teams in Los Angeles. But my overall point is that the talent at that position is stupid. And some of these random quarterbacks that have been hanging on by a threat in the NFL – they're about to get booted because there are just going to be so many guys drafted, even teams with starting quarterbacks like a Dak Prescott, like a Kirk cousins, like just go around the league with some of the middle of tier guys. I'm just going to be drafting quarterbacks in the third, fourth round who, who are really good. And that's exciting. And that's means uh, there's a healthiness for the league when there's a lot of quarterback play, at least a high level. And we know a lot of these guys aren't going to turn into good play. I'm not acting like these guys are all going to be stars, because even between Caleb and Drake May, the likelihood that both are Pro Bowlers, history would tell us that's not the case. Even though it's like God, I watched both of them, Penix as well. Now Penix has an injury history. Those three players are just elite. I mean, he's just Caleb's remarkable. Drake May, I thought looked awesome the other night, and Penix. I, I I just typed him into Twitter the other night, the day after his game, just because I wanted to watch a couple of his throws. Just because it's so beautiful coming. There's something special about a nice soft touch from a lefty. Uh, but really enjoyed. And you should do. I mean, if you're just flipping around, I mean, the amount of high, high level quarterback play is just, it's, I it's jaw dropping. And last but not least, I would say over my life, I'm 37, 38, 38, I'm about to be 39. I'm getting old. Uh, I've become much less emotional. Doesn't mean that I can't be moved emotionally or when I think of things about my parents or You know, I I see something on the internet uh, that's that's you know, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, or moving that I I can't wouldn't shed a tear. But for the most part, I've I've developed some calluses. And it's not always the healthiest thing. And it honestly might be a middle cough trait. I know my brother's a lot like that. Told the story when we were in Tahoe a couple weeks ago about something crazy that happened on the ranch and a guy almost died and was like, didn't even phase him. Middle coughs, we we can be our emotions are just, we kind of struggle with it sometimes. We don't know exactly what to do. Didn't exactly have the most vulnerable upbringing in terms of just talking about our feelings. Not, you know, I was raised in an old school home. But I was watching the Pac-12 over the weekend and they obviously did not lose a game. Pretty incredible start for a conference. This is literally about to die. The conference is going away forever. And I've said, I, I'm not as aggressive as coward of like, you know, this is just inevitable. Like, obviously it's great for the network's you know, it's great to have Michigan playing Washington and Oregon playing Wisconsin and Ohio State. I get it. I get it from finance, financial standpoint. And I'm I'm as pro business as anyone, easily, that talks about sports. You will not find anyone who not only understands it but celebrates it. I'm pro money here. That doesn't mean that watching it this weekend and watching the Pac 12, which is probably gonna have their deepest league in fucking forever. I mean, they they have potentially four teams that could compete to make the playoffs: Oregon, Washington, USC, and Utah. I do feel pretty confident that they will get a playoff team. Like right now, if I was a betting man, I will say the Pac-12 would be represented in the playoffs. W- what Deion Sanders is doing with Shador and Travis Hunter, the Arizona schools, especially University of Arizona, looks really good. Oregon State is really good. I mean, they're going to be an eight and four, nine and three team that you want no part of. Washington state has an NFL quarterback. Cal and Stanford actually, you know, had a good start, especially Cal for a program that doesn't care about sports, not the coaches or the players, but the administration kind of made me sad. And honestly, I was thinking about it on Sunday night. Like it sucks. It it really does. It's over. And I'm not, I'm not hoping that it ever come. I I understand that there's no looking back somehow Stanford and Cal are now in the ACC. And I've, I tweeted this and I believe this to my core. If you think that Clemson and Florida State and North Carolina, who all voted against adding them, are ever playing a game in the Bay Area, you're high on something. Because I can't ever see that happening. People are like, middle Cut, they're in the coverage. Like, yeah. For how long? One and two. I, I don't see it. But regardless, like for all the expansion, I understand why the networks want it. I understand why every week one game should be Colorado TCU. LSU, Florida State. We should not have Oregon playing Portland State. That, that's an embarrassment. That, that should not happen. I don't blame them for doing it because those are the current rules, but that needs to die. And as these conferences dissipate and they all go under one umbrella, eventually we will just get every game will be Alabama, Texas or Ole Miss, Washington, or just whatever. They'll just be bigger games against power five opponents. Even the non-power five, like you can play Boise State, Fresno State, some of those schools as well, but you should never be able to play D one, Double teams. Like th- th- those days, not only need to die, I- I'm pretty confident they will. But if you're of a certain age, it, it is going to suck not having these traditional rivalries and just having them die. Like I, I think it's cool that now with Texas going back to the SEC, that you'll get Texas and Texas A and M again. You should, but there was something cool about like Texas, Kansas State, or Texas, Texas Tech when they would lose that game sometime and it would make that program season or when Oregon state last year takes down USC or almost does, or a couple years ago they did. And it's just, it's a huge feather in that team's cap. And those days feel kind of over and regionally, at least for, for us out West. And that sucks. And it ma- it truly makes me sad, not sad enough to cry, but I-, I do understand the people on the other end that say this is all about money. It is. Because football pays for everything, as you've seen with the destruction of like the Big East. Why did it get destroyed? Because football was the cash cow, not basketball, even though basketball is a profitable venture. But football makes so much more that the basketball programs, especially the basketball programs that don't have football or don't have a powerful football program, were viewed as an afterthought. And I don't really know what else to say, but beside that, I hope the Pac 12. Has just an incredible year. I hope this doesn't slow down. Obviously, it's impossible to not lose a game because you eventually play each other, but keeps kicking ass and taking names. And it's it's going to be weird next year when we see it, even if that means more entertaining games, and it surely does. But for those of us that grew up loving football uh, on Saturdays out West, it, it was hard not to get a little sad with the success that the conference You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with eBay Motors is here for the ride. You know what I remember about my first car? Is that the moment I got it, I wanted to improve it. Because like most 16-year-old kids, you don't exactly get a luxury automobile. So you look at it, you go, well, I need to add some speakers. I need to tint out the windows. I need to make this thing the coolest your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash john. That's linkedin.com slash john. To post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. (laughs) Okay, let's go mailbag. Add John Middlecoff. Add John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those direct messages. Very, very easy to get in the show. Just fire in the DMs and get your question answered here on the pod. Start with Bo. Hey, John, just watching the first half of Washington-Boise State. And Penix has got to be the hardest player to place in the quarterback mix for the draft. The injury history, history is undeniable, but so is the talent. Dude throws lasers and really excels at working through progressions. If this guy gets through the year healthy, how can a front office determine whether to take the risk on this guy in the first two rounds or wait it out in a class that looks promising? Have you heard anything from the scouting community? I personally, you know, I don't work in the league anymore, thought he was like a fringe first rounder last year, but I know how those meetings go. Injuries, ACL injuries always scare teams. Once you start stacking back to back seasons of health, I don't know if I don't think he missed a game last year. Well, if he goes back to back years fully healthy and he checks when he gets physicals at the combine that everything is a go, that he just had prior injuries and he doesn't have some degenerate knee, he doesn't have any question marks physically moving forward. Yeah, I think he'll be drafted in the top 10. I think he's got a chance to be in the mix for the number two overall quarterback. Now, Drake may, I don't have like his entire extensive history of high school, but if he's never had a major injury, I don't think Caleb's ever have a major injury. Those two guys feels like would go ahead of him. But I would say, and listen, I haven't watched every quarterback, but to me, Michael Penix looks right now like the third best quarterback. ACL injuries, pretty sure two, but Nick Bost has been hurt before, had an ACL injury in high school. Uh, had major growing surgery in in college, so like guys that have injury histories get drafted and then go on to have successful careers at at all positions. And the one thing you feel good about with quarterback is they're pretty protected in in the sport now. Obviously in the pros, but in college as well. So if you feel his body can hold up, yeah. I mean, I I think as of today, someone that just is kind of a football addict and watched an unhealthy amount of football to me he's clearly the third best quarterback throws just God his ball so beautiful Jacob hindsight is 2020 but would the Texans have been better off taking will Anderson and Jalen Carter instead of CJ Stroud next year's quarterback class is loaded Texans are going to be bad this year and CJ and Wood uh and they would have been bad with CJ or Davis Mills I don't have inside information on this but I think it's pretty clear that the owner got involved That the owner said, we can't go into a season with Davis Mills and Case Keenum and just be an embarrassment. Draft one of these quarterbacks and kind of gave them an ultimatum. Because CJ Stroud, now listen, that game against Georgia was freaking awesome. And that game alone, he was a big time talent. But who do I think is better? Drake May, Penix, obviously Caleb. Like I'd take all those guys over CJ Stroud. Could be wrong. Time will tell. Maybe D'Amico coached this guy up and he becomes really good. Now, if I get the guy from Georgia, then I feel pretty good about it. But yeah, I'm with you. Would you rather have, you can't do this in a vacuum though. Would you rather have Will Anderson and Jalen Carter than CJ Stroud? If CJ Stroud, the likelihood that he's not going to hit. Of course. But factor this in. The likelihood that Jalen Carter, he had to go to a place that had the infrastructure. That had veteran players who could kind of not only take him under his wing, but like that's just not going to be tolerated here. You're not even the best player on our team, even though he could be very quickly. And I think the Eagles were much more equipped to take the flyer, even though it's still risky for them, than all the other teams that were drafting really high, like the Texans, like the Falcons, like all these other teams, which he immediately improves, right? But then he becomes their best player. They can't, you know, just it's much riskier. And I think the one thing that D'Amico and obviously their GM kind of come from programs with Kyle and with Belichick kind of avoid those guys because it can blow up in your face as well as like you can hit a home run 100%. But I think the Eagles were just in the perfect situation. They have his teammates. They have these incredible veteran players and Kelsey, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and Slay and all these guys who have seen it all, who've made a ton of money, who are just high-level guys. I don't think the Texans, it's worth the risk. Not when you have all these picks coming. Uh, now, I, I think the big question, Will Anderson's going to be fine. Will Anderson's going to be a good player. If C.J. Stroud's not, like, how how long are they tied to him? Now, they just drafted him two overall, so he's getting years. Well, you say, you know, <laughs> Lance only got two, but I hear you. Okay, let's see. You're the best in the biz. I kind of like this guy. Real quick question. I keep seeing where a player reaches an injury settlement with the team. How do those work? And is there a a specified amount of time a player is not eligible if those are met? Well, typically you see them with like undrafted free agents or late round picks that the team doesn't want, right? That would have cut. So when you get hurt on the job, right? In practice or a preseason game, I owe you some money, right? So I got to put you on injured reserve. Well, if I tell your agent, right, let's say you don't have like a torn ACL. You just have like a broken arm. But I go, listen, I don't want you here. Uh, You're not going to play. Once you get healthy, we're going to cut you. How about this? We cut you now. We come to some sort of settlement. And, you know, maybe it's 100 grand. Maybe it's 50 grand. Maybe it's 200 grand. We pay you out. We go our separate ways. And then you're in position healthy in, you know, two months to get back with a team on a practice squad or something. So usually it's an undisclosed amount, clearly, which is a smaller number, right? And it allows that player. Maybe it's just a broken finger. Maybe it's just a guy who got injured on the job that like you are obligated because you can't cut a guy who's injured, right? Because I can't claim a guy. He won't pass my physicals. So you have to put him on injured reserve. It's basically just, and, and I could be not describing this perfectly. If I had, like, Howie Roseman or John Schneider, th- they could definitely describe it in more detail. But most of the – you're not cutting a guy like uh, – you would never come to an injury settlement with, like, Jalen Ramsey, right? It doesn't happen with starters, with veteran players who make a lot of money because they would never come to an injury settlement. You're you're offering them too much money. or I mean, they're making too much money. So it's like, yeah, just play it out. But I think with these younger players, guys that were not not only not guaranteed a spot, but we're not going to be on the team, that it just is conducive for both sides to be like, hey, here's 80 grand, you go your separate ways, you can rehab here, and then we'll go our separate ways, and then you can bounce back with another team once you're able to pass physicals late in the year. That's why I think you usually see that. What is your take on Deion Sanders? He's been shaking things up in college football realm and just shut the haters up briefly with an impressive win over a well-coached TCU team. A lot of people still have him losing record this season, but the buzz is hard to ignore. Do you think he's wanting to work his way to the NFL? If so, do you think he has a long ways to prove himself before an NFL team takes him seriously as a coach? Do you know what I hate? And this happens in college football. It doesn't happen in the pros because I can't steal a coach. That I've seen so many takes on the interweb of like, enjoy Dion while you have him. He'll be gone in 18 months. Why do we always have to do that? Why do we always have to do that? Can't we just enjoy it? If he's there three years, awesome. If he leaves in two to go to Texas or Florida, so be it. But can't we just enjoy it while it's here? Clearly, if he wins the next couple years, all these transfer portal players, some of these programs, Texas, if Sark doesn't win, Florida with Billy Napier will offer him $150 million. They just will. Right? And who knows? Maybe the Cowboys, if he's number one, you know, his quarterback, his son gets drafted. Maybe that team wants to hire him. If they have the number one overall pick in a couple years, obviously the Cowboys probably wouldn't. But you know what I mean? He's going to have options. Deion Sanders now with just that one game. And if he just goes six and six, he is going to have a ton of options. That's a fact. You know, let's face it. Last year, Auburn didn't from the job. They won with few frees. A couple of years ago, Florida State, Mike Norvell, which Norvell is going to turn out to be just fine. But you know what I mean? I have some theories and educated guesses that I can see coming from a mile away. Ohio State, like the Ryan Day thing, like he's not going to be treated like Urban Meyer, Saban. He, he is. He is going to be nitpicked with a fine-tooth comb. And if he ain't beating Michigan and he ain't winning natties, like he's not some guy on scholarship. I can already see Kalen DeBoer, the dude at Washington. Google his resume. He wins everywhere. Honestly, he has some Brian Kelly vibes. If that guy goes in the Big Ten, let's say he wins the Pac-12 this year, wins 10, 11 games, again, goes to the Big Ten, keeps winning double-digit games, that guy's got Ohio State written all over. Just like Florida. Billy Napier ain't going to be there long. He's just not. Sark, obviously, big week against Alabama, big couple years coming up. If, if he wins eight, nine games the next couple of years. They'll run him out of town. That's got Deion Sanders written all over. It. And let's face it, if McCarthy, you know, we, we've been saying Lincoln Riley, Deion Sanders fucking played for the Cowboys. So he's going to be in the mix, but let's just enjoy it. Let's just have an incredible year of Deion Sanders coaching the son, coaching both sons. Shiloh led the team in tackles and Travis Hunter and a little running back. And it's just fun. Let's just have fun. I hit up Notre Dame and Michigan state for week one college football, and was super impressed by Notre Dame. Unreal campus. As a father of two kids, it got me thinking, where would you want your future unborn children to go to college? Well, let's not get it twisted that I will live, and I plan on it, if they so choose, and who knows? You know, higher education, maybe it'll be changed, and I haven't had one yet. Hell, I don't even have one on the way. So we're still 19 years minimum away from my child going to college. And who knows? Like if they want to go to trade school, maybe they become an entrepreneur. Maybe the world changes, maybe they become a full-time YouTuber. So I, I will not force. Education was forced on me. And I'm glad. But I was talking about it with my girlfriend last night. It was like, "You got to go to college. To go to college." But it was never like to really improve your education, to really improve your knowledge, to improve your skills. It was like, "You just got to go to college." Well, why? And I went, and I hell, I got multiple degrees. But it's like, why did I go? And really, most of my time spent there was partying, chasing girls and setting myself up football wise, like getting involved with the athletic program and the football program. So I'm not acting like it didn't have benefits to my life, but I didn't I I didn't learn anything there beside what I was learning on my own. So I, I look at college a little differently, though. I went to Cal Poly, so we don't have I mean, we have athletics, but not that anyone cares about. I would love for my son or daughter to attend a school that matters athletically, but specifically in football. Um, hopefully, football's still a really big deal in twenty plus years. Keep our fingers crossed. It's surely, trending that way, but wouldn't matter. I mean, I, I've been to a lot of campuses, obviously through this job. Uh, all the Pac-12 schools. I mean, USC, UCLA, Colorado's actually got an incredible campus. I always thought Utah was really underrated. Washington, Oregon are badass. Any of the schools in the South, Bama, Georgia, Florida, Clemson, you name it. I mean, I wouldn't matter, but I, I would like power five, but I'm also, I, I'm not, we are going to promote and push curiosity in my family. And, you know, obviously there is a level of discipline of doing your homework and stuff that translates to life. But like so many times my parents were like, you got, to," like, I don't care what they're, te- what they're teaching me. These these classes are stupid. I do not care about chemistry. It does not matter. I literally talk about football to pay my bills now. So I was right. They were wrong. Hey, John, the husband and I are huge fans. (laughs) I like this family. Need your thoughts on this because I haven't seen much coverage on it. What the hell do you think is going on with Isaiah Bugs? Trade, pay issues, shit seems sour. Isaiah Bugs? Who's Isaiah Bugs? Am I, am I an idiot? Isaiah Bugs. Isaiah Bugs frustrated after learning he'll be a healthy scratch. Bench for the season opener. Plays for the Lions. Defensive lineman. Uh, I, I, I'd be lying if I knew much about the Isaiah Bugs situation. Um, uh, I will say this. The big question mark with the Detroit Lions is gonna be their secondary, right? Can they cover people? I think defensive line, I thought Aiden Hutchinson last year by the end, you're like, God, this guy kind of looks like a Bosa brother. (laughs) This guy looks like one of the next big J.J. Watt or something. This guy's got a chance to be an all-pro. And I think they drafted, I forget his name, but another guy last year in the draft that had eight sacks. Maybe their defensive line is just good. And sometimes older players, you know, Wally Pipped, get replaced. It's the best part of the NFL. Ultimate meritocracy at any single moment. Unless you're just like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, right? Or Aaron Donald or whatever. It's very hard to kind of bench you. But eventually, you get replaced. And the majority of the league is not those guys. So the majority of the league, every single training camp, new players come in, uh, expectations get higher, and you're not guaranteed a spot. So Isaiah Bugs, he's been on the Lions for a couple years. Honestly, I don't even know that much about this guy. He played at Bama. I don't really remember him. But, yeah, got to produce. Got a question for the bail bag. If the Rams are projected to be so bad, why don't they follow suit with their division rivals, the Cardinals, and Tank? Hard to sell Donald and Cup on that, but Cup is hurt and could be an asset to a competing team. And Donald could generate at least one late first or multiple picks. Why not sell and go in all in on acquiring Caleb Williams? Williams staying in California with McVeigh because you can't do that week one. You're paying Donald Stafford and Cup too much money. Now, can you do that October fifteenth? Yes, but and their schedule <clears throat> is lined up for them to have some problems. But you can't do that immediately. So, to me, they're in a position to just kind of let it play out, and letting it play out is going to be pretty ugly. the The Cardinals do not have Stafford, Donald, or Cooper Cup. I mean, they got Buda Baker, but safety can only do so much. I mean, Aaron Donald is going to go down as like one of the great players of all time. And you're paying them 30 million dollars. Stafford is making uh just <laughs> half a you just walked into a Wells Fargo in, in Southern California, you could just empty the bank, and that might not even be enough to pay Mass Stafford. Cause if you know the banks, the way they operate is a little shady. Especially the Wells Fargo. I got I got into it with them the other day. Been a customer for twenty plus years and they're screwing me over on some fees. But that's neither here nor there. I I do think it's a little harder to just tank, but I hear what you're saying. Okay, love you, man, but have to call into a question, a comma, a false media narrative. You chimed in on Collins' pod that I hope you consider reexamining on your pod. The idea that the Jets have a terrible offensive line is nonsense. Is it potentially injury prone? Yes, but you can't say that almost every unit good or bad in the league. I agree. Dwayne Brown at left tackle, wall 40, I think he's 38 is a former all pro who played pretty well last year and allowed just one sack. Again, when I say bad offensive line, I'm not talking, I trust. I like their guards gave Tomlinson who coming off a bad year, but got paid a lot of money. who has been a really good player with the 49ers. Tucker is a really good player. Love that guy in the draft. I think, do we even know if McKay Becton is good? Yes, we know he has not been good. We know he hasn't been reliable and a guy, if we're playing, I'm circling the fucking wagons if I'm the defensive coordinator and we're attacking relentlessly. I'll promise you this. Week one, when Mekhi Becton lines up at right tackle, I'm sending the heat constantly at his ass. Now, if he proves it, great. But to pretend that like, th- th- we're in this pretty deep now. He hasn't been any good. He just hasn't when he's played. And let alone he's been injured a lot. Like you can say, it, this has not worked out. And this is a guy that other teams would not want. Now as their starter. Can you change that? Can you, it's not a narrative. I mean, you watch hard knocks, Makai Beckton, they spoke about it last year. There is no justifying that Makai, it's like the Trey Lance thing. No, as the information we have right now, those are terrible picks, gigantic bus. Can they change it all? 100%. But the information we have of today, I'm recording this on September 4th. There is no you know, Makai Beckton might be no, at so far, been a disaster. That, that's a fact. There's no emotion or bias or agendas behind this. Narratives, I hate that word sometimes, honestly. No, it's just the Jets' offensive line is a question mark. Just like we go team to team. Every team has question marks. But when you have an offensive line as a question mark, older tackle and just a question mark at right tackle, that just the guy might not be any good. He might not have the quickness or be too injury prone to function. That's a problem. So I, I, I hate, it's not a narrative. It's, it's literally the information we have right now. So I listen, I'm going to pick them, and I think we'll do a big season preview uh, probably Thursday, on Thursday's pod. Might just be that, just might be the pod. I'm going to pick them to win the division. But it's going to be c- because they're going to have the number one defense in the league, and I think they're going to be a top five rushing team. But I, I don't feel great about Makai Becton. But this notion that, like, He's been disappointed, but hurt almost two and a half years. Look at the analysis of him when healthy, the first rookie year. That's like four years ago. Like we we got new information. Things change. Players, evaluating players in the NFL is like the stock market. You you can't hold on to things from three years ago. It's not relevant in 2023. Like, oh, what about 2019 or 20? Like who gives a shit? I'm never in my, the way I operate in life, a rear view mirror guy. I look forward. Now, I give certain people the benefit of the doubt. Like, can Aaron Rodgers bounce back? Well, yeah, he's got 15 years of resume. So one bad year, like, I feel pretty confident. But most players, and you get this a lot with draft picks, like, he's always been hurt. No, well, maybe he's just not a reliable individual, right? Say what you want about Herm Edwards, kind of a cheat. The, the first coach to be a five-year college coach, go back to television because he got ran out of town for cheating, and then immediately go back to the NFL stuff. It's like, why aren't people asking this guy about college football? He's been working in college football for the last five years. You just put him back on the NFL? How's he been following the NFL? He's been in college. Herm Edwards, sneaky scam artist. Find him entertaining, but sure scammed Arizona State. But my point is, like, things change. Things change. And the best ability is availability. And right now, you know, if, if you can't rely on players, whether, and if it's a starter, that's a major problem but I hate this notion of narrative. There's no narrative. It's a legit question mark. Yeah, we'll end on this. Some stuff I want to touch on, I make your video. If not, it's okay. One, I think everyone's opinion of Colt being released isn't that he's some superstar quarterback. He's clearly not. But that he, in fact, that he took all the first team reps in practice and was preparing to start. I agree with you about them drafting the guy from the fifth round and seeing what he has. I think everyone is just reacting to that he took all the first-team reps and not the rookie. It's not that Colts just turned 38 and that we knew he could have uh, prepared someone sooner. I don't think any time in that situation that a guy drafted in the middle rounds would get the first-team reps. That's never how it would work. So in the situation that they just drafted the kid from Houston, whatever, the fifth round, if their starting quarterback like Kyler's injured and you have this veteran player in Colt McCoy, but he could be any player. He could be Chase Daniel. You you could name some random backup. That guy would get the first team reps in in the offseason and early in training camp. And then as time went on, you went, what's the point of this? Because that fifth-round player has to earn... He, he's not a super-high pick. You, you can't just put him with the ones. You have to earn that. Now, over time, you realize, what's the point of keeping Colt McCoy? He's We don't think he's any good, one. Two, we might as well get a good look at this guy while we can. But I have no problem with making that decision late in August because you wouldn't have the information. You get three weeks of this guy playing in preseason games, in the building, how he reacts in practice. You go, God, we really like this guy. Let's just, we're obviously not going to be any good. What's the point of not giving this guy the game opportunities? Maybe we strike oil. Maybe we just find our backup quarterback when we eventually trade Kyler and draft one of these other guys. Right, But I, I, I don't think it's, what team, I don't care how shitty you are, would ever start a fifth-round player running with the ones like August 10th. That's just not how it happens, without several injuries. If Colt McCoy was going to be, and then you change your opinion. Like I said, football's a stock market. Things are constantly changing. Some guys are getting better, some guys are getting worse, and some veteran players, you realize, have stagnated and there's no point to roll them out there. So second, I have the Jags going 14 and three Lawrence going off around 40 touchdowns, 5,500 yards and winning the MVP. I know Titans fans get very, very angry with me because they don't, I don't give them the proper respect and I I definitely value them more now. Like I I think that I don't think they're going to be just terrible uh, because their coach is too good, but I'm with you. I, I think the Jags 14 and three feel strong, but 11, 12 wins. And I think win that division by several games, now, maybe early, it feels close, but I'm with you. I think Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson, because usually you bet on the coach and quarterback. And the Titans have a really good coach and Mike Vrabel, But like the Jags kind of have both. I don't know. Their coach won a Super Bowl, out coached Bill Belichick. Like, <laughs> remember that? Won another playoff game the following year with Foles again. Trevor Lawrence, one of the best prospects of the last 20 years. So Forty touchdowns feels a little strong, but yeah, thirty-five to forty touchdowns—I—I I see a massive, massive year for Trevor Lawrence. I think the Jags are going to be one of the best offensive teams in the league, and uh, are just going to be are going to cruise to that division when it's all said and done. The volume.